It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. City are champions. Fulham are going down. And of course, we've got another twist in the top four race with Chelsea losing at home to Arsenal on Thursday morning. We'll discuss all of that in depth in today's episode of The Gangapod. Take a tour around Europe where the results are absolutely wild and celebrate the achievements of Sam Kerr as her Chelsea side win the WSL and look to create history in Europe next week. So much to talk about, including the boys' Premier League team of the season. I cannot wait to hear them argue about that. Let's get straight into it. Yes, hi everyone. Good to be with you for another episode of the Gagapod, an old school Gagapod today with no Champions League match day editions, of course. But once again, I am glad to be joined by two of my sparring partners, Michael Bridges and John Aloisi. Although not so happy today, gents, because we're talking off the back on a Thursday morning of Chelsea losing 1-0 at Stamford Bridge to Arsenal. The first time they've had the double done against them in the league in about a decade. So not a good morning for me, but a good morning for you. Good to see you, Bridgie. Great to see you, Dave. And um, I'm a little bit happy because I know I can get at you here with Chelsea getting beat, but obviously it was Arsenal who beat them, Dave. So I'm not that happy this morning. <laughs> and a good win for you in the FFA Cup last night, Bridgie, on the coaching front too. I'll, let's get that in early. It's, it's worth a mention. Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, it was a good. The edge with Eagles over the new Lambton Eagles. A um, bit of a, a local riv- rivalry there. And you know what it is? The, they're in the division below, but they are leading their... their um, their league, the new Lampman, and it was always going to be a, a battle. It was a proper FFA Cup tie, and I went around the ground um, behind their main goal just to thank every supporter that turned up to cheer their team on. We got a 2-1 victory, but I tell you what, they had all their age grades and all the kids behind the goal. It was an unbelievable atmosphere, a proper FFA Cup, and it brought back a lot of memories from the games that I've played in overseas back in the day when we had FFA FA Cup runs against lesser teams. It was fantastic. So thank you for the mention. It was a, it was a great atmosphere all around. No, good on you. Good to hear it. Good to hear it. How are you, John? Yeah, I'm well. I'm uh, looking forward to this and I'm looking forward to our Premier League Team of the Year. Yes. So I'm sure that myself and Bridgie have got some different 11s, probably majority of them the same, but uh, there'll be some discussions in that. Have you guys made up ever since your name, Tiff, by the way? Just check you in on that, that you're all okay. I, I, have to, I have to say, Bridgie got it right. Neymar went missing in the semi-final. I got it wrong. Um, I still think Neymar's a top player and one of the best in the world. But um, we we never had a tiff. That was just a discussion. <laughs> we would Good never argue. Strikers union. We always, it's like when I say it to players on the field, if you have an argument, leave it on the field. If you bring it off the field and you don't have a drink with your teammate afterwards, you're not part of this team. So me and John will disagree on the set, but I'll tell you what, offset, we'll get on like a house on fire. So it's Brilliant. All good. Brilliant. Until the team of the year. So bring it on a bit later on. <laughs> Bridgie, Chelsea nil, Arsenal one. Uh, what on earth? I've got to say, Dave, it was a bit of a snowfest. The game, I didn't. Um, I was expecting a lot more. There was there was changes, obviously, in the Chelsea lineup. And when you think what they had to try and and do um, against Arsenal, who you just never know what you were going to get. They had the chances, however, Chelsea. I thought if um, I think Havertz was through in the eleventh minute, one on one. I think that changes the whole complexity of the game, Dave, and um, maybe go on to to win that or get something out of the game. But Chelsea just looked so underdone. I don't know whether it was the the change of personnel that he brought in. I don't know whether it was their sights on the Champions League final. Um, but they still had something to fight for. You're still fighting for fourth place in the Champions League, even, even though you're in the final. And... They, they just looked underdone and leggy. And fair play to Arsenal. They got the goal and they defended in numbers. They absorbed the pressure. Um, it wasn't pretty, but they got the press right when it was ready. Yeah, Tuko um, made comment about that uh, they didn't look right in training the day before. Mm. And that can happen sometimes that you just see that, uh, that the team's slightly off. You try and pick them up. You try and mention, look, we've got plenty to play for. Uh, let's, let's focus on this game. 
Uh, not only is it a local derby, it's a, an opportunity to really cement that top four and then worry about the FA Cup, uh, you know, after the game. And, uh, you know, I, I think that he was disappointed with his starting eleven which um, he didn't let on which players mm-hmm. that he should have started with or left out. He said he rotated too much. But, um, yeah, they didn't take their big chances. They made a bad mistake on the goal, even though Arsenal pressed uh, particularly well in that situation. And then uh, in the end, they just didn't look like they had the energy and, and the, the intensity that they normally have. So, But uh, this has been a question hasn't mm-hmm. really been raised too much. Chelsea haven't fell behind too often. Mm. especially under Tuchel. This is one of the first times and they failed to actually come back from it. So it's, um, you know, leading towards the, the main bit of the season when you're talking about finals, uh, you know, Leicester will be confident that they can do something in the FA Cup and I'm telling you, Man City will be very mm. confident. There's a good interview afterwards. He sort of, he said, um, maybe this is the last wake-up call for all of us. I'm not happy with my lineup. Too many changes and I should not have done it like this something in particular that there was, but I will not tell you. But if we want to read between the lines, even though he didn't say which players, he did say something that caught my attention, which was um, we didn't have the sharpness or the intensity of the last few games. And these are the percent of who are missing. And I wonder then if he's alluding, Bridgie, to uh, N'Golo Kante, Timo Werner's of the world, who he was saving. But in the end, clearly he felt like uh, he missed them uh, today. Yeah, I would say so, Dave. The the legs and energy that Kante brings to you, um, even when he's underdone, he's going to get through so much work. And I think the other the other aspect of that is, is Werner. All right, he hasn't got the on the score sheet as many times as I think he would have liked, and definitely Chelsea fans would have liked. But his work ethic off the ball, it's almost like he starts the press when they need to, or he, he shows them one way when the centre-halves have got them. So Chelsea can pin a team in one half of the field. He doesn't allow the ball to get changed in the from the one side of the field to the other, so they've got to address and, and readjust. So I think he, he was lacking the intensity on, on the press and when they didn't have the ball. I think that's what he was definitely alluding to. And like John says, as a coach, sometimes you get a sense of that and the smell. And he, he, he didn't he didn't make the changes. And I think he's, he'll, he will have definitely learned from that. Yeah, that, that's the surprising bit because, yes, Werner brings him so much uh, energy-wise, his forward runs, um, the way he presses. Uh, you know, all right, he's missed a lot of opportunities this season, but he's still getting in those uh, positions. And why he didn't bring him on. If he felt that it was a mistake and he felt that he should have started with him, you know, why didn't he make that change at, at the halftime or in the second half? He brings on Giroud, which he hardly ever plays. Mm. Um, so I was a bit surprised with that. Kante's a big one. You know, I can't speak highly enough of Kante. He, he's... Uh, Phenomenal for that Chelsea side, but uh, the energy he brings, you know, that goal that he set up for the Real Madrid game, um, and it was just before, uh, I think it was uh, the first goal, the way he pressed, he ran past his forward players to go press the ball. If you see the vision from up above, it was like he smelt it where no one else smelt it. So that's that's what he brings. He brings that, that energy and that forward press that others don't have. And um, so they definitely missed him this morning. It's um, it's an interesting one with Werner because uh, it's so maligned, but in a, in a way, Chelsea were, were, were missing his his buzz and energy and enthusiasm, intensity, the kind of words that uh, Tuchel alluded to. But I wonder, Bridgie, with the FA Cup final coming up this weekend with Brendan Rodgers, Pep Guardiola is obviously watching closely for the Champions League final. Now, I don't know whether it was by... Uh, accident or by design, um, Emil Smith-Rowe, who got the winning goal, said that they did intend to press, but then they were extremely compact after that, very deep, very narrow. So to what extent that was all part of it beforehand, you know, we don't know. But I do wonder, a Penny, for the thoughts of the other two managers that are about to face Chelsea, how much they read into what they saw today. Oh, yeah, you, that's what you do. You analyse matches, you look you look at it. And there, were, there was an interesting one that I... The Tottenham uh, final against City, when they got... City just went and absolutely pressed and pressed and pressed, and Tottenham didn't know what the hell to do with that aggressive press. 
And they, they learned a lot from that because the next team that played Tottenham, they went and pressed the hell out of them and they didn't. So teams learned from that. So definitely um, everybody would have analysed that and saw a moment when, you know, Chelsea, can they break teams down? Well, yeah, we've seen them do that. But Arsenal did it fantastically when they were holding on. They had a job. But the, the press came out. There's not many have had a... Chelsea got a lot of possession. There's not a lot of teams have really had a go. So, you know, they, you, you learn things from them, the moments. You can't press for 90 minutes. It's absolutely impossible. John will tell you that. Um, and you, you'll have a go. But there's definitely the the managers will analyse that. You learn from it as coach and staff. And you, you try and find a little... One, them 1% one has go a long way, Dave, when you see a little bit of frailty in teams. Yeah, oh, look, I thought that... Um... It was interesting how Arsenal went back to a back three. Man City went to a back three. Um, What will Leicester do in the FA Cup? Will they play with a back three? So I think that Arteta would have picked out a little bit from the Man City game because when City uh, pressed in the first half against uh, Chelsea on the weekend, I thought they did well. Uh, Look, they should have been 2-0 up at halftime and then it might have been game over. Um, So... Give credit to Chelsea. They came back and, and they won the game and they deserved to win it. But there were signs there with City's second string 11 playing in that system, matching it up with um, with Chelsea. They're not so comfortable with it. And uh, and so, you know, I thought that uh, it was a good opportunity for both managers to get a look at them playing against another back three again and matching them up and seeing how they really react and, and cope with it. By the way, Zizou doesn't look so stupid now, does he? Except that they just didn't execute it. <laughs> that was the difference. I think they didn't have enough time to work to work on it. They still look a little bit disjointed in the, in that system there, definitely, Dave. But he saw something. Be interesting to see how that plays out, and, and whether it's a question of you. I think you mentioned it, Bridgie. They love possession, Chelsea. They love possession, but also um, that they're, they're so good on the counterattack. They're so good on the break. They're so good with speed, and particularly in those big games. And that's where I wonder whether Rodgers, I doubt Guardiola will, but whether Rodgers may just consider that approach too and how deep they do sit back at times because they took that away from Chelsea today and they struggled to break them down. I don't want to upset you and Chelsea fans, Dave, but sometimes the possession of Chelsea... They, they absolutely bore you into submission. They keep the ball in areas of field where you're going. Do they this. bore the opposition as well? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You kind of you become hypnotised. The amount of times the ball gets passed from left to right to left to right, the centre-halves and, and you're snore-fest. But in the, when, they, when they see the opposition having a little sleep and a little nap, they've got them transition moments where they can just turn it on and hit you with it with the pace that they have. Um, and then defensively, numbers back behind the ball, the work rate. So he, there's method in his madness, mate. But at yeah. times, Dave, you've got to admit, it hasn't been pretty. Yeah, but you know what? They won't care. If they win not the FA Cup and they win the Champions League, look, let's not be too critical of them losing today because uh, it, it's one loss. Um, you know, the last loss was against West Brom, which was a blip. And um, it was a dominating performance, though, John. Like you say, that there's chances that they've yeah. had. I think it was 19 attempts. They've had five on target. Yeah. And Arsenal were just obviously backs to the walls. Yeah. Two crossbars late on as well, the chances. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So they had their opportunities. I think no, it comes did. down to that thing you said before, clinical. Yeah, and 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 look with the the players that they got to come in, and and now people realise how important Werner is in this system, mm. especially, mm. and uh, and Kante, how important mm. Kante is for that side. Arsenal, well done to them. They're still in the hunt for Europe now. They're up to eighth after what would have been a really chastening week for them after going out of the Europa League. This was a particularly big win for Mikel Arteta, and you could sense it from how um, terse he was after the game, how titchy he was after the game, using the opportunity in the platform of a win to go after the media a little bit in the way that they've been attacking, I guess, his credentials. Do you know the only thing that can save his season? Obviously, they've had an absolute shocker. They are how many points behind Tottenham are they? What have we got? Just a couple now. Breathing down yeah. your neck. Breathing down the neck. Tottenham have got the game in hand. I'll tell you what, if they finish above Spurs, the fans at least will get some satisfaction out of this season, will the Gunners fans? And it might just keep him in a job for next season. Well, it, it you know, look, the fans are going to still be uh, disappointed with the way the season's gone, and depending, you know, if they do get above Tottenham or, or if they do somehow creep into European positions. But it's, it's more about the decision makers. If they see that Arteta's on the right track and there is improvement, not results-wise, but improvement in what he's trying to do at the football club, 
I think they have to stay with him. And, and you know, you're going to cop criticism from the, the supporters because supporters, of course, they're going to want to see results. But John, sometimes it will take time. I think the supporters are on Arteta's side. I've got to, I've got to say that. I think the majority have seen the the influence that he's had on the club and on the players and that he, he he's still embracing some of the ex-players as well to get their advice and all the rest of that. I think he's got the pedigree. The fans are fuming with, obviously, the owners and what has gone yeah. on. There's so much turmoil going on at this moment in time and I just think they'll be looking for that little... The owners don't give a crap about Arteta. Be, be, they're, they're about results, John. There's yeah. no, no denying that. The fans have got a lot more love for Arteta and they can see it. But I'll tell you what, I think the owners are just looking for the results. If they see things that are going on the training ground or behind the scenes that he's doing with his staff, they won't give a crap. It's about the money generated for that football club. Fascinating um, as well what I thought Ian Wright said after the game on Match Day Live on Sport, where he said, uh, it, do we trust these decision makers who have gone and signed William for three years? Um, that was a really interesting insight from a club legend who is virtually, a, you know, as a fan when he, when he um, gets onto these shows. And I thought that was very interesting. And, and there's a really good contrarian uh, piece on the Optusport app, if you have a read, jump on today and have a look from one of our columnists in the UK who argues that the stats, despite all the talk and all the story around it actually show the areas that Mikel Arteta has improved Arsenal and you take the Europa League out of it and the results recently have actually been quite reasonable so jump on the Optusport back, back site and have a look at that piece if you uh, want to just have your opinion challenged which mine certainly was when I read Arsenal that. fan doing the article by any chance no a very good contributor Alex Keeble who we have out very, of the UK very good then there who, you go yeah, who wrote a very uh, um, uh, good good explainer about that uh, going on so a bit going on there, a bit going on in the Premier League generally this week because, of course, uh, on Wednesday morning, without kicking a ball, Manchester City were officially crowned champions again. Pip Guardiola sealing their road back to the top thanks to Manchester United losing to Leicester. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had to name a pretty weak team given they've got that remarkable fixture logjam of two games in the space of three days, which seems quite outrageous. But in context of Chelsea's loss, a very, very big win, John, for Leicester in their top four ambitions. And then we'll talk about Manchester City. But first, just on Leicester, that's that's massive. Because you know what? What were we joking about over the weekend? They're going to choke yeah. again. Yeah, I, I thought they were. I, you know, you look at their running and you thought, oh, no, Leicester's going to, like, they're going to slip up again. That was a massive result. And Man United played into their hands a little bit because of the amount of we, changes that they we made. We didn't know Man United were going to play their youth team. Otherwise, I would have said Leicester <laughs> wouldn't have had a capitulation. You know what? It was... Uh, look, Man United, I understand Ollie. He mm. had to make changes because not only is it a risk in terms of injury, he's also looking at going, look, we've still got an important Europa League final coming up. Who would you rather be as a Man United player, supporter, mm -hmm. fan, is Liverpool. And I'm not saying he went into the Leicester game hoping to lose. He would have gone into that game believing he was still going to win with the players that he had out there. But you know that he's going to put out his best and strongest 11 against Liverpool. Um, it's just unlucky for the Liverpool players and supporters in the club that that he had to do it. So, so here's one for you, John, right? And I'm, I'm going to give you my take on it. There's a lot of people and pundits and media in the UK have been saying that Manchester United should be fine. There should be deducted points for, for putting that kind of team out. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I am the manager, Solskjaer, and I have got, you've nailed, you've nailed it. I have got to look after them players, right? The welfare of the players. You've, the, you know, you know how much recovery you need, mm. especially from a Premier League game and the Europa League travel and things like that. He's got to maximise what he has at his disposal. I think it might have been different if they were fighting for Champions League football position. Mm -hmm. They're safe. They've got Champions League football in mind. They're in a final and they've got Liverpool coming up. Make yeah. changes. That's what squads are there for. So these pundits and people that are saying they should be fine and for lesser in the campaign, they do it all the time in the League Cup. Nobody gets fined for doing that. It's just the way it is at the moment with a backlog of fixtures. And I think he's handled it superbly. So, Bridgie, at the beginning of the season when he didn't take off Fred when he had a yellow card, I was the one that yeah. criticised. Mm, yeah, um, and, agree. And if someone 
got injured like a Fernandez, who, uh, you know, if he started him against Leicester, we would be criticising him. I think he did exactly the right yeah. thing to protect his his players that he's going to need in these big games coming up. And, and Liverpool's one of them, but it's more important is the Europa League. So I agree 100% with you, Bridgie. I go, I don't understand when people criticise when he has to, he's been, his hand's been forced. You know, it's not like yeah. he wanted to play, you know, five games within. Of course he didn't, but he had to. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think that he did the right thing. Yes, it was. it's unlucky for a Liverpool um, player and club and, and, you know, they're not going to be happy about it. But I'm sure Klopp would have done exactly the same thing exactly. with the Shures on the other foot. And at the end of the day, Liverpool should have won more games this season and had less injuries and they might have had a, a, a chance of getting in instead of complaining and whinging about, you know, the, the a only team thing, lesser in. It's just an excuse because they are the rivals. Yeah. The only thing that I will say with Man United, it just shows they're a couple of players away from really challenging for the title. Because if that was Man City, they would have been able to make 10 changes and still win the football game. Whereas Man United are just a couple of players short. And I thought Chelsea were able to do that because they've got a massive squad, but they couldn't do it against Arsenal, Dave. Is that right? <laughs> We've moved on from that. We're oh, sorry, Man mate. I just take on. us back there. little trip down memory lane. Very good. Very good. Now, and look, and uh, Leicester, of course, struggled against Newcastle on the weekend, but full credit to them. They are now back in that uh, position of ascendancy, heading into that really big logjam into the top four race. Now, of course, and if you want some clarification on what we're talking about, about United's fixtures, it was Wednesday morning Australian time. They're playing against Leicester. Friday morning Australia time, they're playing against Liverpool. Yeah, but don't forget, that, they also played on the Sunday as well. Yeah. 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 And so the it, Thursday before that, the Europa League. It was three games in five days, and it's going to be four games in eight days. So if you tell me doesn't need to do rotation, ugh, yeah, mental, mental. Mm, mm, mm. Now, speaking of that, though, the consequence was Manchester City being crowned champions. It's hard to know what to add to what we've already said on this program about Manchester City. But just another thought, a concluding thought, that they are officially champions and Pep Guardiola has got them back to the top and declared this as his toughest title. I guess that's a testament, John, isn't it, to the achievement? Yeah, look, I think it's his toughest title. First of all, they had a terrible start to the season. Um, second of all, and, and all clubs had to deal with it, is uh, the, you know, the coronavirus, the COVID situation, uh, how they dealt with that, and they did deal with it well. Um, and, you know, he did say that it's by far the toughest competition to win. You know, he's been in the Bundesliga, he's been in La Liga, um, but he still thinks the Premier League is so tough. It's not only the, the sides that are competing with him, like your Liverpools, your, you know, your Man United's, uh, Leicester's and, and, and those. It's, it's all the way down. You know, you go to a Burnley, it's not an easy game. There's never an easy game in the Premier League. So I think uh, for him, he was... Very excited, and uh, and and it, and it, he what he mentioned too, which was great. I thought he mentioned it's not just him, it's not just the players, it's the whole club. It the structure within the club is so good now that they've won five premiership titles in the last ten seasons. That's a testament to the club, not just the players that are out there on the pitch or the coach, yes, they have to perform. But if you, and, and I was lucky enough to sit in the, you know, fought it within that club for two days, going back now about seven years ago. And just the, the, the way it's run, Bridgie, it's it just, a, it's just like clockwork. It's a machine. They got football people making football decisions. Chicky Bergerestein, don't underestimate what he's been able to achieve at that football club. He achieved it with Barcelona. He's doing it at Man City. And, uh, you know, those things there go a long way. Yeah, I think he thanked everybody. You know, he went through the ground stuff, the tea ladies, the kit men, the, everything that was that was going on. It was just in, incredible how he, that's his focus. Everybody's part of that club. Can you remember, I think they were having a little bad run of form a few years ago, or they'd had a, they'd had a spell and he got everybody in for a team meeting, but it wasn't just the players and the staff. All the canteen staff were behind him. All the um, the female coaches and the team were there. He got everybody in on board, and it was they. This is this club, bloody bloody blah. And I just thought it was incredible. It didn't just focus on one element. And I think that's why Pep Guardiola is loved by all at that football club as well. Not just for his genius coaching. I just think the way he he mentors and looks after everybody and feels them feels like everybody's got a purpose. But I've got to say, John, who did you pick to win the Premier League this season, John? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, uh, yes, you long. do, John. Yes, you do. Come on, John. <laughs> I picked Liverpool to win. Thank you. And um, Dave, if, Dave if Van Dyke was fit, 
I think Liverpool still would have been there. He challenge. wasn't fit, John. You got it wrong. Dave Wiener? <laughs> I did think Liverpool could go back to Thank that. Thank you. Right, we'll go back to the um, first game pod. I think I said Manchester City. Thank you. But, but you changed after about a month. Very you I changed to Liverpool John. after a month, John, but we'll not go to that gig <laughs> pod. And then I went back to Manchester City. <laughs> but all you will see is the first thing. It was Man City to win. And some of you laughed at me. So there you go. No, very good. And you know what? The cynics, and it was very funny looking at some of the comments on social media. And of course, when, when you put up the, the pieces on how Pep changed City or how he rebuilt them, you get 50 comments saying money, 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 money. And of course, that's true. That's a big part of it. But what he has done with the players at his disposal, taking them to a new level, found solutions to a problem that they had earlier this season when they were eighth at the turn of the year. Of course, with a few games in hand, but they were eighth. Look, we have spoken about it at depth. Uh, in depth on this show about what he has done tactically to evolve Manchester City. But another part, I know, I know money gets you it, but you have to get the decisions right too. This is a side that did previously have Vincent Company, did previously had David Silva. you got to say, previously had Sergio Aguero. He barely played this year. And given his Benenka effort on the weekend, you can see why he's probably not, why he's not playing very much at all. Um, and he has managed to find the right solutions to those issues. So uh, to conclude this, I guess, where for you does this version of city rank but then this this era of city rank for you in, in premier league history tough on, question John. very hard question oh, very look, very hard question it, it, it's um i think this city team if they win the champions league they'll go down as the best city team ever um and i agree with you i think he's come up with solutions in a tough period when see he first started playing without that the, the the striker because of the injury crisis that they had at the beginning of the season they didn't have strikers that were fit and he found the way and then he kept with it because it was working so he he's smart enough to know how to get the best out of his playing group his players and he gets the best and he improves them. You know, mm. Foden's come on in the last three, four seasons and he's been the one. He's been his mentor, really, as, as a manager. So whether I think that this City team will go down in history as the best, and then I'll look at, is it the best Guardiola team ever? Now, I still think that Guardiola team, not the treble winning season, which you think that should be uh, with uh, Barcelona, I think it was the one that uh, they ended up winning in 2011 was when uh, they beat Man United at Wembley, the Champions League final with David Villa, Messi, Iniesta, uh, Xavi. That, for me, he actually had a team playing, uh, toying with... Total the- football. It was like the Harlem Globetrotters mm. of football. Yeah, it was It was incredible. So I, I still think that's his yeah. best team ever and one of the best teams of all time. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally, agree. You, you must have looked at my little script here, John. It was, <laughs> it was total, total football. Um, it was, a, it was a joy to watch. However, what I will say, this squad that Guardiola has got now, I think you can't say it's the best. You know, the the eleven, whatever. This squad at Manchester City, I think it's the best he has ever had at his disposal. Because any team that can change and rotate in eleven and have the a team that can still win the Premier League, I find that absolutely phenomenal. And they see him get through January this season as well to not get a number nine. Like John said, he recognised that the solution was working. I would love to see how many managers in the Premier League could go a season without a, a target man or, or an, an adapt to playing a false nine and not have to buy anybody in January. Mm. He's, um, he, yeah, blow, yet again, blown me away. It's just frightening. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So still a bit of bit to do and a bit to achieve then, um, just judging by your answers, to be there in the all-time Premier League. Like when you think Premier League great teams, you think of Fergie's teams, you think of maybe, you know, obviously the Invincibles, you think of maybe Jose's first Chelsea. Cities, Pep City have to be somewhere in that. If they get the Champions League, totally agree. Yes, of course they do. Yeah. Of course they yeah, do. And, and I they... think it's underdone. I mean, how much is this? What, this is Pep's third Premier League? Yeah, third in uh, four, four years. Seasons. Yeah. Yeah. If they win the Champions League and the Premier League and what else have we got? They, they won the Carabao Cup. The so Carabao. They, 
Yeah. yeah, so look, I, I look at it, Dave, and, and yeah, it's it's good to compare those teams. It's a different era as well, and 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 you know, and especially this year with COVID. Um, but I, I will say that that team that broke the hundred point mark as mm. well, and having Liverpool breathe down their neck the whole mm. time, uh, you know, you can't go past as that being one of the best Premier League sides that they've had. Um, but yeah, look, the I- Invincibles are still the Invincibles. They're still the only team to have done it. Um, you know, Fergie, the treble winning season, you know, you can't really go past that side either. But, you know, this this side and this squad, I agree, Bridget, is definitely the best squad. Yeah. When you're talking about 20-odd players, each one of them can play in the starting 11, and he does play them. Um, I, I think it's an incredible squad. Now, I've never played against this team, Dave, this Manchester City team. However, I played against the Manchester United team and I played against the Arsenal team. I might be being biased and patriotic, but that Manchester United team, because of the youngsters that came through the academy in the, you know, the, the, 90, the team of 92 mm-hmm. that they talk about, that for me is something that is sens- sensational. What Fergie was able to do with that group of players, what them players went on to achieve, incredible. But the Arsenal team that I came up against for Leeds United with Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, it was it was just outrageously good. Freddie Lundberg, Perez, you you know, it was like I have never played against a team that had a defensive attitude, work rate, and then in the transition moments, you could just pick you apart in the you you, you could be in a game nil nil. And five minutes later, you were four 0 down. I remember that for Leeds against Arsenal; it was just frightening. So, it's it, you can't. You, I don't think you can pick teams and say, "Oh, that one's better than that." They've all got their own yeah, part in history. And like John says, football evolves; things happen. But the squad of Manchester City, I think it's the best squad we've ever seen in Premier League history. It's a fun conversation to have. Completely irrelevant and frivolous, but a fun conversation to have and to take us down memory lane too, and to remember some of those great teams. Now, the other, other end of the table, we're celebrating City and we're farewelling Fulham. And probably it's the earliest, I think, that we've known all three teams that are going down. Um, but it's hard to argue with these three teams going down. West Brom joined them, Sheffield United, of course. And you're Fulham, John, you don't stay in the Premier League because you're almost improving, or almost getting there. And that's kind of how it felt. And it felt again like that against Burnley, where they had all to play for. And just weren't good enough. Yeah, look, I think that Mitrovic uh, summed it up. He's been in football a long time, and he said that uh, we don't deserve to be in the Premier League. You know, football doesn't lie, and uh, and they weren't good enough this season, especially when they were playing well. There was a, there was a probably a ten game period there that they were really playing well, and they deserved to win more games, and they weren't winning. When you don't win those games that's when you know you're in trouble because there's going to be always be a situation where you're not going to perform as well and they weren't strong enough to actually hold teams out. I, I think that, um, you know, look, Scott Parker is obviously a good manager. I think that people are speaking um, not really highly of him. Talk as of the should. Spurs job, by the way. Yeah, I don't it's understand that. Yeah, I think so. He's, because he's been I, there at the he's been in the, at the youth levels, you know. He's he's very well sought after and um, behind the scenes. The, the only thing is though, Bridgie, you know, I know that you know we can say that he didn't have the money or didn't have the squad. He still like bought players in that. I thought it was disappointing in the end because look, last season when they got promoted, they were quite lucky to get promoted through the playoffs. Uh, this season, you know, they, were, they should have made more of an um, a fight of it and staying in there. They've been relegated with two, three games to go. That, that's you're not even close then. And 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 then they talk about him going to Tottenham. You know, I I would put Graham Potter in front of uh, all day long, all day long. I was just you know just what yeah. the, the big talk was um, back then. He's a little bit of history. I would much rather see Potter. And I think Parker's probably. I know he brought them up. So he's done that. He's proven that. But I think now for him to probably contend for, I say, Tottenham job, wouldn't you want to see him go back with them and rebuild this squad where he actually, they're going to lose about half a dozen players who have yeah. been on loan. So if he does succeed with them now, he is going to prove his, his, his credentials. I mean, I'll respect that he's honesty afterwards. He said, you know, the four, they've, they've given us everything that I've asked of them. But he said the quality was lacking. And he, he said, you know, I'm going to upset a lot of people. But he said the quality was not there. And he, you know, he, he, he was absolutely spot on. And I just remember back to the guy John just mentioned, Mitrovic. I think he is a very, very good player. But it was Rafael Benitez at, Man, uh, at Newcastle United. Mitrovic saying, why am I not playing? He said, you're not a Premier League player yet. He said, you've got to go to the championship and you've got to start scoring goals. 
he went down there, he started scoring goals, but yet again, the step up to the Premier League, I know he's playing in a in a squad like Fulham, but he, he hasn't been able to produce the goods and they've really struggled in front of goal. Mm. The lack of goals has cost Fulham because at moments in the game, it's been that odd one goal here or there that's been the difference between a draw and a win. I couldn't believe that they've scored nine goals at Craven Cottage. It's a disgrace. All season. I mean, yeah, you, go, you what, what wins your games? Yeah, you can't say that. What wins your games? Yeah. yeah. So that, that coming from the two strikers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? They Mourinho done, says clean sheets win your games. They don't. They could have done. <laughs> they could have done with uh, you two guys up front uh, up this season. Nine goals at home and 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 Burnley. Mister Weiner, a good example. Burnley, they know what they're doing. They stay up and they taught them a lesson. There. What, what, what's Mr. Weiner? What, what, what Mr. You Weiner, Parker would not have wanted me and John because, believe you me, I've got three relegations under my belt. He didn't want me. <laughs> yeah. All right, so he, you've got to look I've at players. Got a players. couple as well. You got a couple there. That's <laughs> no, no chance. Too modest. Too modest. We can say what we like on the Gagan Pod. So as we wrap up that Premier League discussion, of course, as I alluded to, if you listen to us on Thursday, set your alarm for Friday morning because it is Manchester United against Liverpool. It's not just the classic rivalry, but Liverpool have so much to play for as they look to try and cash in on Chelsea's slip-up and and peg back that gap into the top four and keep that alive over the final few games of the season. In terms of the weekend coming up, it's a packed fixture list, but still the games you've got to look out for are the ones that involve the top four race. Um, And we jump ahead to Brighton against West Ham uh, on Sunday morning at 5 a.m., Critical game there for the Hammers. Tottenham against Wolves Sunday at 11 p.m. because they've still got their European aspirations and now Arsenal have put the pressure on them as well. Liverpool have to back up Monday morning, 1.30 a.m., going to West Brom. Everton host Sheffield United on Monday morning at 4 a.m. And then you've got to look ahead again for Chelsea getting back into action after the FA Cup final, where, strangely enough, after playing Leicester, they back up with their next league game against Leicester midweek next week. So a lot to digest. We've spoken about it in depth, but I guess the opportunity we'll give you guys is, as we do each week, are you revising your top four crystal ball or European crystal ball, or, or we're still on path to what you, what you think? I can't even remember who I picked, Bridgie. <laughs> well, I had Leicester drop. I had Leicester dropping out. I don't think Leicester are going to drop out now. I think that Manchester United victory has done them the world of good. Two games to go. I still think the the challenge is on for Liverpool and West Ham to catch Chelsea because after seeing Chelsea against Arsenal with the changes, Tuchel's sight is on that Champions League final. So um, watch this space with West Ham and Liverpool because Liverpool with two games in hand over Chelsea. Um, how many points we got? 57 to Liverpool and 64 to Chelsea. And West Ham sitting in fifth. They've got 58 points. So, you know, it favours Liverpool, mate. I've got to be honest. I think they might have a little a little rich vein of form. Well, Liverpool need to beat Man United. Mm-hmm. If, if they beat Man United, I, I think they'll make top four. If they don't, then I think it'll be too, the, the gap will be too much. Come on, Manchester United on Friday morning, says every Chelsea supporter watching on. Now, moving on across the continent, this one has your name on it, John. Does, that, does anyone want to win La Liga this oh. year? Are they giving well, it away? Is it, do they think they're playing for the Super League? Well, what Atletico, is going on? Atletico Madrid, massive step into winning La Liga this morning. 2-1 win against Real Sociedad. I think the title's done unless they choke in the last two games and Real Madrid win the last three. But Barcelona have choked. Mm. Barcelona, in their last four games, they've lost to Granada. They lost to, uh, or they drew with Atletico Madrid. They're 2-0 up at halftime against Levante, and they go and throw it and lo- and draw 3 all. You just think they went 3-2 ahead again. Oh, you're just thinking, what are they doing? They don't deserve to win the title. Yeah. They don't deserve it. You know what? This season, I don't think any team has no. really deserved to win it. Um, Atletico Madrid had a poor second half of the season. They were at one stage 10 points in front. They've made it into a competition. It, it, it was exciting, um, but I think they'll win it. Atletico Madrid will end up coming home strong and, and win the title. By the way, um, 
Shavi's spoken about recently that, that he, he, he is available, he's going to leave, he's looking to move on. If Given just the capitulation at the business end, has that done anything to change Ronald Koeman's stranglehold on the job or, or, or has he still got it for next season? No, it makes a, a big difference. And, and, and it just goes to show in Spain, and it's not only in Spain, it's, it's the football world, one week can change everything. And, uh, and a lot of it had to do with Koeman's selection uh, and, and his substitutions that he made on the weekend and, uh, well, yesterday morning uh, against Levante, and and then and then, then the discussion starts. You know, is he the one to, to take this club forward? Is he, is, you know, do we need Xavi back? And and I think there's going to be a, a, a massive discussion if they don't win the title, which looks like they won't. Um, I think he'll struggle to hold on to his uh, his job. Who'll be coaching Juventus next year, Bridgie? I know they had a three-one win over Sassuolo this morning on Thursday, but they still have relied on other results. I can't believe we're even saying this to make the top four in Italy. Of course, they got smacked by Milan on the weekend, who are third, Napoli fourth, Atalanta all the way up in second. Um, Juventus That's three three seasons in a row, Atalanta scored hundred plus goals. I was blessing. What a team. What a team. And John, they still they keep getting losing players at the end of the season and yet they still find a way. Oh, brilliant. Um, They're great to watch. They are very good to watch. Juve, manager. Perlo still in the job, Dave? How can they give it to him? How can they the, hold on? Is it's already Allegri is just sitting in the back of the dressing room waiting to take yeah. his, his job again. Yeah, but on, on that, and I'll let you talk about Juventus in a little bit, Bridget, but on that... Look, I feel for Pirlo. I think he's going to be a good manager. I, Sari came out and said these set of players. Sari's comments are amazing. John. Oh yeah, they're untrainable. You can't yeah. actually coach them because they don't want to be coached. And uh, and I think that helped Pirlo a little bit. It, it did help him because it, you know it goes to show that they're at a stage now that they need to actually change a few individuals within that mm. side. And and once they do, then you can actually judge the manager. I, I was saying to you there, Dave, Perlo is still in charge of this team. Yeah, I don't want to talk about another manager coming in because um, I don't know whether John was meant to, uh, was was saying that he reckons Perlo should be given another another season. I do. I know there's a lot of people calling for his head, but them comments from Sorry just reiterated, and I'm hoping that some of the board and some of the fans listen to that as much as say, you know what it is, let him have his opportunity to have a clean out this summer because there is a lot of egos, there's a bit of weary legs, but they've got some quality coming coming through. Um, I've, I've loved watching that boy Chiesa. I think he's been mm. absolutely yeah. sensational. I know you, you played with his father, didn't you? No, I, I played against his father. Against his him, father sorry. Yeah, yeah, his father was at my club just before I arrived yeah. there. And, and he I, moved I, on. And, <laughs> and the, the Pirlo, Pirlo got one of the highest marks ever given for one of the pro diploma um, assessments that was handed in. His knowledge of the game, um, absolutely amazing what he's done. And I know it doesn't always work as a player, but Zizou has gone and done it. And I think Perlo deserves longer because there's an affiliation there with the fans. Um, well, what he's what he's got to try and regather. And I think he can have a good clean out because he understands football. He knows it. And I would like to see him have an opportunity again next season. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I do agree that Perlo was thrown in the deep end, but in the yeah. soap opera of Italian football, I don't know. The question Correct. is more in the context, will he still have that job? But he was absolutely thrown to the wolves. And uh, for a club that's won nine straight Scudettos, it's quite remarkable. That financial as well, bringing somebody, else, bringing somebody else in as a manager financially. They've, you know, there's things that are going on behind the scenes with that Super League entry and things like that. So, you know, they're struggling for a battling for a bit of money. There's, there's a lot of things going on off the field. Again, I think the fans are more annoyed at the, um, the owners. You know, it's funny because, you know, we don't know the ins and outs of what happens in a football club and what happens behind the scenes if you're not there. But when Guardiola took over Barcelona, they they, they offered him the job because they thought he was going to be good enough. And he said, OK, I'm going to come into the job, but I'm, I need these plays out. Ronaldinho, Deco, hmm. and there was a couple of others because uh, I'm going to go this direction and they won't come with me. Hmm. So I need them out. Now, Peter Law probably didn't do that. Because he hasn't had that luxury yet, though, John, has he? No, but but the Guardiola did it straight away. He did it. He did it as soon as he set foot into that changing room. It, they were gone. Um, whereas Pirlo, we don't know if he was able to do it or if he thought that he could actually manage a Ronaldo, mm. manage a few of those players, you know, that uh, have been there a part of the furniture for so long, uh, and that were uh, stronger than him. So it, it's uh, it's one of those ones. Yeah, I would like to see him get the opportunity, Bridgie. You're right in in actually making a little bit of a clean out and and bringing through those younger players. Now, Bridgie, 
speaking of, it's, it was a wild week in Europe. It was a real wild week in Europe. And PSG, the the, the Ligue 1 is not in their hands. They're gonna they're three points behind Lille at the moment. They drew one all with Rennes on the weekend. I'm not gonna ask you for a tactical dossier of Paris Saint Germain's season in Ligue 1. I'm just gonna ask you what you think about the fact that Mauricio Pochettino was not able to haul back Lille and win his first major trophy with this team at his disposal. What does that mean for him? Well, what did they win this morning on penalties? What was that? Um, was that their league, the the league cup or something? Yeah, definitely wasn't. Definitely wasn't in uh, in in the league. Yeah, I was, no, no, it went to penalties and they got the they managed to get the win. I, I can't, I can't think. It was, was the French Cup semi final against Montpellier where they got through six uh, five on penalties. It was two two the final score, and I was looking at that thing, and you know what it is? They should be annihilating teams like Montpellier, and they just haven't been able to find a way, Dave. Like you say. Pochettino coming in, the Champions League was there for them, really fancied them, didn't get there. Um, the league, haven't been able to win that. Is it the curse of Pochettino? Is, is, do you know what I mean? It's, I think he's an incredible guy, the mannerisms, the way he coaches the teams. It's just a stigma. It's unbelievable. And uh, yeah, he's he's got to be on, um, I wouldn't say thin ice. He's got, again, another man that I think once he has a clean out next season, now I'm hoping that they can go on and absolutely dominate and destroy that league because they've got Neymar's signature till 2025. Neymar's crying out that he wants to play with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, Do you, did you read that. about that? Yeah, yeah, just saw Wouldn't that. that be something? And I'm sure Pirlo might say, Do you know what it is? Yep, get yourself away, mate. We'll have a, that'll be first one of my clean outs. So, Pochettino, I'm going to give him the thumbs up. I'm going to say, give him another season get him in there and I'm hoping his trophy cabinet will start to fill because that's all he needs to get over for his own mental sanity. I wonder if they're going to keep him on. I hope they do. But as, as I said with Juve, you, you never know what these trigger happy owners are thinking, what they're going to do and what their demands are. It's a whistle stop tour of the world of football at the moment because there's a lot going on in the business end of the season. And by the time the next Gagenpod hits us, we will have seen the first legs of the championship playoffs where Bournemouth have got Brentford and Barnsley have got Swansea. Just love to get your guys' predictions on, well, not only predictions, but who you'd like to see come up from the championship. And I know you've both been involved in the high pressure end of the uh, of a promotion um, across Europe. And um, I'd just love to get your thoughts on what the players will be going through right now in this furnace. Look, I haven't had the the privilege to play in a playoff in terms of getting promoted, Bridgie, but I, I have played in playoffs, especially here in the A-League, you know, the final series. And, and, and the playoff, I think they're great. I, I love final series. I love playoff, you know, home and away. You know, the, 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 do you get that, that goal advantage away from home or, or you, however it works out? There's, there's a lot of pressure there. You do have an advantage when you're actually playing, I think, um, at home in the second leg because normally the fans can push you over the line. This is going to be different because there's no fans there. But um, Bournemouth, your mate, got them there in the end. Johnny Woodgate. Yeah, I'm sure that you'll be hoping and, and, and believing that they'll get through. I'm hoping to see Brentford go up. I just want to see the, they're an incredible story, you know, just that sort of money ball sort of style of signing players and, you know, going off of, uh, you know, what they're believing through stats and, and whatever else and what they've been able to achieve with the players that they, they bring in, they sell on and then do it year after year after year. They were unfortunate not to go up last season in the, in the playoff final. I would love to see them go up. And also I've got a soft spot for Barnsley because with, um, a, you know, a, an actual, uh, they haven't got a lot of money, as you know, Bridgie, and what they've been able to achieve after nearly getting relegated last season to be fighting to go up into the Premier League is incredible. Yeah, I think I think all of them have got their own little story of success. Like you say, Bournemouth, I am really, really batting for because they've been there before. They've gone down. Woodgate, my mate, obviously from Leeds United, has come on board and he got them in there. The only thing... I feel for Woody. The last three matches, they had a, a bad spell. Of, had a bad run of form. In the last three games, they got beat, and it gave Brentford the opportunity to go and you know get it get above them. And I think Woody would not have liked to see to play Brentford in the first leg because I just think Brentford are a, a, a powerhouse. They were almost nearly there last season. They've got that grit and determination. The bees, and I'm hoping they don't go up because I've got a bet with one of the Optus. Um, some Optus fan out there that is a big Brentford fan. And I said that Bournemouth were going to go up with Woodgate. 
And he's challenged me and he said, if Brentford go up, I want to see you sitting on the set with your Brentford B shirt on. And I took the challenge up. So I'm hoping that they don't. So I do not want to sit on set and be wrong and do that. So you know the- what happens, Bridgie, when you go into these playoffs and, and any final series, you want to be going in form. If, yeah, if, you're going, yeah. if you're going just by making it, then, then you're not going to really have that momentum to and, take you over the line. And, and Brentford and have that, got that, John. Yeah. And, and, I think, and I think that's that's why I think they're probably favourites to go up. But again, the, a one-off game in the final, you never know. The other one, I don't want to see Barnsley go up. And I sound that sounds horrible. I love what they're all about. There's not a lot of money spent. They've managed to get themselves there. They play some lovely football. I can see them getting really, really hurt in the Premier League. Okay. And I think it'll be such a sad affair to have a team like that. Brentford, I think, are capable. They've got a they've got a vision, they've got a philosophy that they stick by. Not the team, I mean the club, like John talked about. Then you've got Swansea who have been there before. Do I want to watch them again in the Premier League? I still keep laughing at Bob Bradley when he came in, <laughs> the American. You know, that was just an absolute <laughs> shambles what went on there. Bournemouth, love affair with Woodgate, but Brentford deserve it. So we'll wait and see what happens. Mm. However, yes. I will give you a story in the championship playoffs because I think they are absolutely shit. I hate them. Yeah, <laughs> and the only reason I hate the couple. them is because I've been involved in one and it was a, a cup final. Uh, sorry, the, the, the playoff final. Sunderland against Charlton. And, you know, we just missed out on promotion in that top two. We finished third and we went into that um, the playoffs. We got through to Wembley. And on the day, I'd, I'd been known as the super sub all season. I was coming on, I was making an impact. And I'm going, I'm going to play at Wembley. However, it was the old Wembley. It was such a letdown. The dressing rooms, the sheds were disgusting. It was falling apart. It was such a letdown from my childhood dreams. However, the team sheet was announced and I wasn't even in the on the bench. So oh. it was a crap day to start with. But ever, I was going to cheer the team on. We went out there. I think it was 5-5. It finished after extra time with Charlton Athletic. Mendonca scored a hat-trick for Charlton, who was a Sunderland guy. Um, he, his house, I do believe, got um, or a few of his windows and his cars got put out back in Sunderland because he was the guy that cost Sunderland promotion. We went to penalties and upset Michael Gray and Mickey Gray decided to get cramp in his run-up and he took the worst penalty I've ever seen in playoff final history i remember that it was horrible so our bus journey back from london to sunderland well mine anyway was just shit from start to finish so there, there you, you go. go well next week maybe you got a more optimistic story to share with us about just playoffs in general when you <laughs> line up with your um sparring partner tommy Sorensen. you get save some stories for us for next week uh, about the celebrations and, and that the happy days of promotion and we'll know we're at after the first leg there next up on the whistle stop tour john sam kerr Leading the line, golden boot in the WSL. Chelsea win the WSL. Chelsea going to play Barcelona this week in the Women's Champions League. Win this or not, I'd love to just get a perspective from you in terms of um, where Sam's achievement this year and her golden boot achievements across her career now with um, three three different countries. Where does that stack up, men or women, in, in Australian football history? Um, she's flying the flag right now. Yeah, women definitely uh, the best in our history. Um, and then when you, you have to compare to the men, I would say, you know, what Craig Johnson was able to achieve in a great Liverpool team, uh, winning so many trophies with them, and Harry uh, at Liverpool. I know Harry won the Champions League, and everyone says, oh, yeah, but Harry got he went off injured early on. But he was in that starting 11 side. You know, he had a big part to play in that squad. And, and Benitez believed in him enough, even though he wasn't 100% fit to put him in that starting 11. I'd say it's on par with them. You know, I wouldn't say it's better or worse. I would say it's on par because you can't go past what Sam Kerr has been able to achieve, not only in uh, in one continent, but in three different continents. So three different styles of football, um, how she's able to settle into the way that they play their football in different countries. And also, um, it, they could win the quadruple. You know, that, that, that's some achievement for Chelsea. And, and, and for her to be the starring player, scoring the goals having a combination with the Kirby uh, being, you know, probably the best combination in, in the WSL. I think it's amazing. And, and it shows that we're able to produce world-class players. I, I hear you, John. I've just got to say, I know Sam Kurt is a huge fan of the Gagan pod and of Optisport. Um, she always had a good chat with Ish Ferguson as well back in the UK. I've got to give her a shout out and just say a massive thank you to her personally, because it was Sam Kerr, 
Jones' goal for Australia at the McDonald's Jones Stadium against Brazil. She scored a goal. She went and did her celebration somersault. I was sat there with my daughter at the time, who was into football, but, you know, just enjoying playing, but never really took it seriously. She saw Sam Kerr score the goal, do the celebration. She turned to me and went, Dad, I want to be Sam Kerr. And for me, that moment, my daughter's gone on to play football and got into Emerging Jets Academy, and she loves it and she embraces it. She watches football, and it's amazing. It's down to that one moment. And obviously, Sam's gone on to do amazing things. Them, them goals, to get the golden boot as well, by the way, she missed a lot of games early on in the season. So I just think she's an incredible person. She's humble and, um, yeah, good on her. Go and get all the accolades you can. Brilliant endorsement, Bridgie. That's a great story. That's a, that's a, fan, that's a fantastic story. Just to clarify what, what uh, you said just a bit earlier, John. So particularly whether she gets a quadruple or not, you're putting her her achievements up there, with, with particularly because of the pioneering aspect yeah. with, with Harry and Craig Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Because I think that um, it's not now, you know, look, I still think Marva Duke is one of the most talented players we're ever able to produce. But when you go on achievements at club level and what they will be able, or what they were able to win, Craig Johnson was playing in the best team at the time in the world. You know, that, that's something coming from Newcastle. Um, that's some achievement. I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, that we shouldn't look past that too quickly. What Harry was able to achieve in terms of winning a Champions League with Liverpool. And, um, and, and, and I think Sam Kerr definitely has to be up there. Definitely. She's one of the best players in the world. You know, she's, she's been runners up a few times. Yep, Bridget. The, the dedication that Craig Johnson, his story, how he stuck it out. Yeah. to get an opportunity back then. And the amount of travel that Sam Kerr has had to do, the girls to to make a living out of the game and to go from continent to continent to get money and to play for different teams, that takes a lot of credit because it's not easy to go away from families, to go and mix it and get in different cultures and get involved and embrace it and do what she's done. It is not easy. Many players have, have tried and many players have failed. He, he, the one thing about Sam Kerr is as well, and... Um, she drives the team forward just with her energy, the way he, she, she makes runs, the way she presses, you know, put the ball in the box, she gets on the end of things. She's a fighter. Um, and you saw what she did with Perth Glory women. You know, Perth Glory, since she's left, have struggled. When she was there, they were the dominant force. They were up there challenging. You know, then she goes to America, does the same thing. You know, in England, Chelsea were already a good side. Yes, I understand that. But she's made them a better side. This is the first time they've made a Champions League final. You know, she, it's not only her goal scoring, it's an actual presence out there, you know. And luckily, we took her away from Aussie rules football, you know. And I think what, what a, a, um, a great decision by her because she would never become world known, you know. She, she's now known around the world. She's one of the best women athletes out there because of football. And that's what we've got that no other code can take away from us. We, we, we play the game all around the world. And she now is one of the biggest women football stars in the world. She's a big fish in a big pond, John. Yeah. If she had stayed in the <laughs> AFL in Melbourne, she would have been a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We have to thank the, uh, the, the AFL as well, or Aussie Rules, because um, she played that as a kid. And that's why she's got such a good vertical leap, mm. a vertical jump. You know, her brother was a, an AFL player with West Coast the Eagles. And, you know, she loved the game. You know, she played um, football, soccer, if, if, whatever people want to say, because there was no the women's AFL at that stage. And, and, and so she went down our path. But I, I'll tell you what, I'm so glad we got her. Well said. Brilliant stuff. And for those who uh, didn't know what Bridgie was alluding to with his little uh, small fish, big pond comment, that was how we uh, described Neymar a couple of weeks ago. And it's been a running gag on the gag of pod since. Jets, we're going to wrap up with this jam-packed podcast. It's going to have a big conclusion. I want to know who. Drum roll, please. I know Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher announced their team of the year is early in the week in the Premier League. That was the warm-up. It's time for the gag and pod team of the premier league season we've got one more next week where we're going to do our awards and then we're into the match day editions on the europa league and the champions league so this is it by Michael the way Bridges, this was tough this John was Aloisi, tough. your teams of the season who wants to go first you, you, you've, you've gone in early john so you, no bridge you can go first i want to let bridge are you sure john yeah yeah you because, sure? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll let you go first. Bridget. Bridget, you go with your 11, and then we're going to get the rebuttals from uh, Jeez, from. Do you want me just to go through the 11 straight away, Dave, yeah? Yeah, put, yeah. All go right. through the 11, and then the 11. When we've got our disagreements, then I want to hear, uh, no I want to hear the arguments. In goal, I've gone for Chelsea, and I've gone for that man, Mendy. Left back, Manchester United, is Luke Shaw. The two centre-halves that I think have been absolutely colossal, they've won Manchester City the title, is Diaz and Stones. The curveball I'm throwing in is Aylin of Leeds United, the right back. He gets in there. Kante in my midfield, defensive holder. And then Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United with Kevin De Bruyne sitting as my two attacking midfielders. Wide on the left was the only dilemma that I really had. And I didn't want to look like the biased Tottenham fan that I am. So it was between Son because of the goals and assists that he's got and Phil Foden, because I think he's been absolutely magnificent. And I went for the latter. I went for Phil Foden. I've gone for Manchester City. Up front, no dispute in this. Harry Kane, top of the assist, top of the goals. He is in there. And I've gone for a little one. I think he's still been absolutely amazing this season. I don't think he's had the support from his players around him. And that is Salah of Liverpool. I like a bridge. Interesting team. And also like- great, because it's not all... City players, which yeah. a lot of the other teams are. What well, do you it's got? Not like Gary Neville's, they're all for Manchester. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm I'm pretty uh, similar to Bridging. You know, Mendy in goals. I think Luke Shaw's been outstanding this season. This is by far his best season that he's had. Diaz Stones, I think they've been immense. They haven't conceded the best defense in the league. Cancelo, who you know, just of late, he's probably you know, not performed as well in the last two or three games. But there was a period there for about 20 games. He was probably City's best player. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Gundogan instead of Kante. The, the only reason why I go with Gundogan is that he held that team together in the midfield for a good part of that season. He, he scored 12 goals. He can play anywhere in that midfield. I think Kante's You don't been... need to justify all your, all your players, mate. You've just no, got to no. name your team. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm justifying and I'm naming him at the same time, Bridgie, because <laughs> Kante was he, he was... he probably shouldn't have missed out, but he's going to miss out, okay? Because wow. I think that he's been brilliant in, in the Champions League more so than what in the Premier League. He's won uh, World Cups, but this is the one that's going to hurt. This, oh, this, will, this will hurt him. Hurt. This will hurt him. De Bruyne, Fernandes... Um, and I'm going to go with Son, Bridget. I, I think that Son's 17 no, goals, 10 assists. Wait, wait. Is he's playing, he's playing Son on the left. Oh, he's he's taking Son over Foden, the diameter that I have. Harry Kane up the up top. I can't. You can't go past him. And the reason why I'm not picking Foden, I'm picking Salah, is because Foden's only started 15 Premier League games this season. So he's had an unbelievable season in all competitions, but this is the Premier League starting 11, and Foden's only started 15. So if you only start 15, you can't be in the starting 11. When he's English, he can. He's in my starting 11. <laughs> and the re- no, I've got to say, John, I, I think I justified very well why I didn't go for Son. I didn't want it. Where Tottenham have finished, I thought, you know, I, I can't really put Son and Harry Kane in there, being a Spurs fan. So I went for the latter because I really, really enjoy watching Phil Foden. He's the most exciting English player I have seen in a long, long time. I, I love Grealish as well for his for the way he goes, but Phil Foden has just got something unique. So I agree. Um, point taken, 15 games uh, in that, uh, but I'm very disappointed that you've gone with Gundogan over, over uh, Kante. Sorry, oh, man. That's a, it, uh, oh. Hang on, I've got to work out a way to get both of them in the team because I think they've been so fundamental to uh, to that campaign. Bridget, how did you just talk me through the in terms of the? I oh, will give you the right reply too yeah. because uh, you picked a Leeds player in the team of the yeah. season. Um, tell us why. Thirty-five matches this season, played every game, and you know, Alien has come from what what I respect about him. He has come from the lower divisions. And he's made a career. He's worked his way through, a bit like Jamie Vardy has done. Bielsa has given the opportunity in the championship. The work rate that this kid puts in from the right, from the fullback positions is incredible. He's versatile and he's taken to the Premier League like you wouldn't believe, the energy levels. And I just look, there's not many players can play the amount of games that he has done. I know they haven't been in Europe, no problems whatsoever. But I just thought I'd credit him because I was struggling to find a right back. It was Cancelo, but I didn't want to have another Manchester City player in there. I'm an ambassador for Leeds United. I don't know Aylin personally, but I just think he's been absolutely incredible. Another man as well that I was contemplating was Dallas, who is classed as a defender on Fantasy League, but he plays more of an attacking midfielder. He's versatile. He is a Fantasy League player's dream for managers out there. Um, Remember, 
how well he has done this season, but he just couldn't get ahead of the other players that are in that midfield. So it was, um, Aylin deserves the credit to me, the plaudits. Now, good stuff. Love it. Does either of you don't have Pep Guardiola as manager of the year? Um, yeah, I definitely have Pep Guardiola. And, and you know, don't underestimate what David Moyes has done yeah. with West Ham. I, I think that um, would you want David Moyes to manage this starting eleven? No. <laughs> but what he's able to be able to achieve <laughs> at West Ham has been incredible. And you know what? I have to say, West Ham deserved to have one player in here. It could have been Declan Rice. It could have been, uh, you know, so many. Suchek has been brilliant uh, because they have been outstanding. Kufal, the right back, he was another yeah. one I looked at in that position. Yeah, I look, they're a bit unfortunate. Mason Mount's been outstanding, you know, the whole season. Uh, there's so many plays that you could have put into this starting eleven, but you had to go with who you believed was the best. And I think that these players were the best in their positions. I still think my team's going to do your team. Well, Probably we're, because, because I don't know who's more energy levels. <laughs> we've got more energy levels. <laughs> we can't so, see. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to pit them up against each other on social media. And we're going to see who's going to win. We're going to see who. Who you? Who you taking, Dave? Who are you looking at there that you're unhappy about? Not far off. I think I think I might have found a way to get Mason Mountain, um, but that's bias, of course. And um, I think I would have found a way to get Gundogan in as well. I think his season he is one of the stories of the season. They're, they're both um, on my bench. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jez, that was good fun. And we're going to put that out there amongst the masses too this week. And and as we head into the final couple of weeks of the Premier League season, look back as well on what's been a pretty unbelievable campaign uh, for a, a variety of reasons. Thanks so much for joining us today. That's all we've got time for as ever. But we've packed a lot in and we've done a whistle-stop tour of Europe at the same time too. So, gents, good to see you both as well as again as ever. Thanks. See you Saturday night. Huh? Burnley gets Leeds. Yeah, can't wait. Leeds again, Bridgie. Oh, how exciting is that, by the way? At least <laughs> we're going to have one team that, uh, to be fair, Burnley over the last few weeks, I've really enjoyed watching them. You know, it's yep. almost like the, the shackles are off. They're having a go. Wood has been immaculate. In Leeds, the amount of people and coaches in this in Australia that have are texting me and just saying, by the way, I love watching that team, Leeds United. They're my new second team. That, for me gives us a because I've got an affiliation with the club I've had history there and the way I've really embraced what they have done since the new ownerships have come on um, and where they've taken Leeds United it just gives me great satisfaction a lot of pride because I you know they have been immaculate to watch brilliant well you know what all three teams that went down are a chance of going up but only two of the three that came up are going down because Leeds United have you've forgotten already that it was just last season they're in the championship. They've performed above and beyond. And I hope I'm here to say because they've been a pleasure to watch every single time. Gents, thanks again as well for your time. We'll see you next week, Bridgie, with Tommy Sorensen. And we'll see you next time, John, for the Europa League match day edition, which we can't wait for that as the business end of the season uh, comes upon us. And to everyone out there listening, thank you as ever. And until the next episode of the Gangapod, enjoy your football. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.